0: This week on Hacker and the Fed, we're gonna answer your questions. We had great audience participation and wanna give you feedback to the questions we received. We answered Lance's question about whether the landscape in cybersecurity is just whack-a-mole, or if we're ever going to get ahead of the bad guys. We talk about the post-arrest scenario, what it's like to be arrested by the FBI, and share Hector's insight and perspective on that arrest. And then we answer a small business owner from New Jersey's questions about how to secure her social media accounts and her websites, and what happens if she gets hacked into. All right, Hector, let's get into it.
1: Hector Monseager was responsible for some of the most notorious hacks. Former ever. FBI Special Agent Chris Tarbell. Hackett and FBI informants participated
0: in some of the world's most infamous hacks that caused up to $50 million in damages. A life in the shadows. Cyber attacks on the rise. Welcome to Hacker in the Fed. I'm Chris Tarbo, former FBI special agent, working my entire career in cybersecurity and founding partner in Naxo. I'd like to welcome my podcast co-host and friend, Hector Monsegur. Hector, how are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? Ah, doing well, doing well. How was your week? It was
1: pretty good. I mean, um, you know, I, I would have to say that it's been busy, but yeah, like even after this, I'll, I'll be doing a, another red team work. so.
0: Oh, good, good. Well, that keeps you busy, keeps you out of trouble, right?
1: Oh, yeah. 100%.
0: We actually got to see each other this week. Uh, Naxo had their launch party, so uh, it was good to get together and have a cocktail and uh, chit chat for a little bit. Yeah,
1: yeah, that was very nice. You had a lot of great folks show up, and it were very cool and nice with me. Um, you have such a large network. A lot of people that really care about you and supported your launch, so...
0: Uh, the big kudos to everyone that showed up for sure. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. It was nice to see uh, see you there. So I, I appreciate you coming out. So. Of course. Other than that, busy week. We've gotten a lot of traction in the media because of that, and we also uh, we've had a lot of contacts for people for for casework. So. Wow. So. We'd had great feedback. So last week uh, on the episode, we uh, put out a contact to us for, you know, if somebody wanted to reach out and ask us a question, it's uh, questions at hackerinthefed.com. And we got quite a few questions. So I went through and I picked out some, uh, some questions that I think would be fun to answer today. So that's kind of where we're going to go. You you excited about that?
1: Yeah, no, I'm super excited. and I'm, I'm You know, the one thing I, I, always, uh, I always found great whenever I'm doing an event or meeting folks, is always the Q and A, right? So um, I'm hoping the questions are are great today and we could uh, give them some great answers.
0: So our first question came from Lance in New York City. uh, And Lance asked, will the cyber attack landscape ever not be a -a whack-a-mole? Or in other words, will the good guys ever be ahead of the bad guys? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, it it is a great question uh, without a doubt. if you would have asked me this question 10 years ago, 20 years ago, even more, I would tell you, well, I, I I just don't see it. I mean, there's there's so much research and researchers and exploit development teams, stuff going on, that back then, it just seemed like security was probably was not going to be a thing for quite some time. But now, as you fast forward, 2022 is a lot of cool technologies and a lot of um, processes uh, processes and procedures. Um, uh Policies, platforms, frameworks. Um, I think that the short answer is yes, it's going to be a -a whack-a-mole for quite some time. Um, But, you know, it's, it's getting better, which is good.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, I, I don't know if I 100% agree with your optimism. I would love to say it's going to get away from it. But I mean, I live in a world where it's, you know, purely reactionary. Something bad happens and we react. You know, mm-hmm. when I was in the FBI, you know, we, we we didn't do too many things that were, you know, proactive as far as getting ahead of cyber criminals. One of the problems we really had in, in law enforcement is um, that you have to spell out in your affidavits and all that exactly, you know, how you caught the bad guy. So, you know, sometimes uh, you know, they would learn from that and they would change their ways. Um, I don't think it happens the same more on the defensive side, on protecting your networks. There's not a lot of people that are paying attention and, and learning from other people's mistakes. And, you know, that's, that's one of those lessons I, I'd like to get out there to people.
1: Well, think about it like this, right? When you look at specific industries, let's, let's look at logistics, for example. I've met a few folks, uh, security folks from the logistics industry that, you know, half monthly meetings even with their competitors, which I found to be such a wonderful idea that now whenever I speak to industry-specific groups of people, I throw up the idea like, hey, I understand things may be different in your industry, but wouldn't it be great if you guys communicate with your counterparts or even competitors to discuss the kind of security issues that you are facing in your industry? It goes a long way. This is why organizations like uh, OWASP and InfraGuard and all these different groups, they exist to share information within their circles. Let's try to expand that a bit more,
0: right? So did you find that they, they're open and, and and talk with each other? Because in 2011, 2012, when I was in the FBI, I was tasked with kind of... We were having a real problem with hackers getting into banks, uh, especially in New York City. You know, New York City has just about every bank in the world has a, some sort of office there. And hacking was going bad into banks. And we needed to kind of get them together. And so... I brought together the, the IT people of banks into a meeting. Uh, kind of the FBI hosted it and tried to get them to talk, but they wouldn't talk with each other. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of bank reputation goes to how secure they are. So they, they didn't want to admit with their competitors in the room that they had a problem. But the thing, the thing I was seeing from my end is they were having the same problem. Mm-hmm. If they just would share information, share, you know, attack IP vectors and that sort of thing, it would go a long ways to 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 help, you know, cybersecurity and cybersecurity, you know, again with banks. But they didn't want to. Um, are you finding it differently that that they are willing to share that information with each other?
1: Yeah. Well, on the contrary, now I've seen a lot of credit unions and their security teams communicating, which is great. I think when it comes to banks, we're talking about the big banks, right? I think it's a different ball game. There's a lot of different policies that they have to follow. There's a lot of, you already know, financial services. There's a lot of uh, legalese and things they have to follow. You know, I'm sure the communication may be more difficult for that part of the industry, but, um, you know, I would like to see more of it. Now, when it comes to logistics, I've seen a lot of companies working together, discussing the threat landscape and, you know, sharing threat info, threat intel information. I've seen others, you know, that are in services. They're communicating with each other, right? But the thing is, it's not consistent. Like there's not, like I can't say, you know, I can't give you a percentage to say, well, 12% of all industries in the United States generally are communicating with each other. That's not, it's not, I can't give you that number. What I'm finding is small pockets and sometimes small pockets in states that are actually um, having these conversations. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we can get to a better place sooner than later. I think CISA is doing a good job at kind of connecting some of these organizations together. But again, you know, we're
0: we're nowhere near where we need to be. CISA is uh, cyber security and infrastructure uh, security agency, part of DHS, right? And that the and what CISA stands for? That's right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, great question, Lance. Um, I you know I would like to be optimistic and say that we're not going to be whack a mole, but it's you know I, I think for a while it, it's going to be it's going to be that way. The tighter your systems, you know, you might be guard from the outside, but you're going to have the, you're going to still have the insider threat. I don't think there's, you know, we're, we're the people that we're allowing onto our networks, um, you know, that should be there, you know, still could be a, a bad actor at some point.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it like this. And and I'll, and I'll share a very brief story on this. There was um, there was a, an engagement that I did with a client who, you know, essentially, you know, kind of betted me. They made a proposition that if I could compromise Active Directory within a certain period of time, then, you know, they would. Now, I forgot exactly what the, the clause was there. I can't remember. But the the point is that they had a security team in place. They had a very solid security program. They had, you know, all the tools that you can imagine. They had EDRs and XDRs and all these cool things, things like, you know, uh, MFA or multi-factor authentication on their domain controllers. It would trigger once you try to log into one of the domain controllers using RDP, remote desktop protocol, right? So here I am, I get in and I start to look at my checklist, right? This is common security issues that you would find on the internal network specific to Windows environments and Active Directory. And, you know, maybe 45 minutes to an hour in, now I'm finding a potential attack path. Now I'm looking at, you know, potential privilege escalation. And then I'm looking at also compromising domain administrative privileges. You know, when I I made the, uh, you know, uh, I would say advisory, you know, when I kind of approached them and said, look, um, we have a critical severity issue here. I have an attack path. I'm able to get domain admin or domain controllers. Their first question was, well, how did you circumvent multi-factor authentication on our domain controllers? I said, well, I didn't need to. I, I was able to authenticate and pop a shell
0: over SMB. You're saying a lot of things. You're saying a lot of things. Dumb it down a little bit. How, how'd you get in there and, and how'd, you, how'd you get past the security? Well,
1: they, they had implemented multi-factor authentication on a protocol they assumed the attacker would try to communicate through, which in this case was remote desktop. Okay. On the flip side, I was able to authenticate with the domain controller over an alternate protocol that allowed me to, you know, not only access the file system, but also to, you know, start remote services and then get re- remote access to the machine in, in question, the target. Um, in this case, being a domain controller. Now, once I had access to the domain controller over SMB, and now I'm able to execute commands. You know, it's game over.
0: You own their system. You can do whatever you want in their system.
1: Yeah, absolutely. At that point, I, you know, I'm, I'm you know, maybe a half a step away from uh, privilege escalation again, and, and getting domain administrator privileges, and that's it. We're done, right?
0: And what, once you have that, you can lock them out. You can do take whatever you want. You you pretty much run their infrastructure. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And this is a company that thought that they were completely secure. This
1: was a company that thought that they they had done they had done everything they 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 possibly could have. Or could have to to mitigate a potential attack against their domain controllers, and the reality is is there's more than one way to to skin a cat here. You know, there's was, was multiple ways to get into these systems. When you look at a Windows environment, for example, right? Aside from like remote desktop, and aside from um, you know what I just mentioned, the SMB protocol, you also have a, a whole bunch of other protocols that you can communicate through and access file systems, right? So just to to kind of go back to Lance's question, this whack-a-mole problem will be a thing for quite some time, and I'm hopeful that we'll get better as we go forward.
0: Well, I appreciate your optimism. I think I'm a little bit more (laughs) pessimistic, but but we'll see. Uh, We won't put a bet on it, but we'll see what happens. (laughs) Sure. We got another question from uh, on Andre. Uh, I, I believe he was from Iceland because, you know, we're, we're big in Iceland these days. So uh, <laughs> so definitely want to shout out to Iceland. Thank you for the support of Hacker and the Fed. Uh, Andre wants to know about uh, the, the post-arrest scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, what really happens to a hacker after they're arrested by the FBI? And kind of wants to know uh, the perspective from your point of view and from my point of view.
1: That's a great question. A question that I don't really see explored by folks uh, in general especially hackers that you know have um, uh, gone into the public eye I don't even see them really talking about this so this is I, I think would be a great opportunity to kind of go over what the process was from my end and your end as well so
0: yeah I mean I think all of them are somewhat unique um, but but yeah I mean I certainly think it can you know I, I've not been on your side of things but it, I think it would be one of the scariest days of your life. Um, you're going to do th- something that you, you didn't expect to come, uh, and you, that knock on the door probably would scare the shit out of you. And then you go into a process that you have no control over and no idea how to control. So, uh, yeah, really interested to hear about it from your side and, uh, and I'll put my perspective on it.
1: Sure. So I guess I'll start from the beginning, right? So what happens when a hacker is arrested by the FBI?
0: Were you thrown into a van, like like they say, were you vanned?: <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, I was, I was put in, in the back of a, a very um, simple, straight-looking uh, vehicle. I think it was a Ford, something. But no, it, I was just put into a car and I was taken away. It was an interesting feeling, to be honest with you, you know, exploring the city from the, the point of view of someone that's being arrested. <laughs> and then, of course, like going to 26 Feral Plaza, that was mind-blowing to me. And um, the way we went into Twenty Six Federal Plaza was mind blowing uh, as well, but no, the the overall experience um, was much better than being arrested by a cop in the street. That's for sure. It was it was very respectful. You know, when you watch things on TV, film, you know, TV shows, you know, they show the FBI as being super scary. They come out of you know the roof and they're breaking through doors and breaking through you know homes and. This is whole dramatic, traumatic experience, but not in my case. My case was, "Hey Hector, we know who you are. You messed up. Let's deal with it."
0: Yeah, from the from the agent side of the view, like when that first meeting happens, you, you're kind of scared. So you go to a judge and you swear out a warrant for somebody, and you know this is our guy, but this is cybercrime. You know, we're not positive that this is the guy. I mean, we got a lot of facts. It's not like a bank robbery where we we have a video of you or something like that. So you're still I. I, I I personally was still a little nervous knocking in your door. Was this? Is this the guy? But you can't show that. You have to be confident. You have to just like you just told your story of Hector. We know you're the guy. You can't show the, oh, shit, is this really the guy? Um, so that's nerve-wracking on my end. Um, but it's also scary. You don't know how people are going to react. People with guns showed up at your house. You know, maybe people start shooting back. Maybe people don't believe you, like like we talked about in our opening story. I was wearing a T-shirt and shorts with a bulletproof vest on. Maybe you <laughs> didn't believe I'm an FBI agent, you know, and, and you know, you think I'm tra- there to rob you or something. The nerves of the, do I have the right guy? The nerves of, you know, am, am I going to get into a shootout here? Uh, It's somewhat of a scary situation, and I had to walk up six flights of stairs. I mean, (laughs) have you ever told you how hard it is to walk up six flights of stairs with a bulletproof vest and carrying a ballistic shield? It's not easy. No, I
1: can imagine.
0: You know, and then you bring other people, and so I was the case agent, so it's kind of, uh, you know, well, if I'm wrong here, man, these people, I ruined their whole evening, and I certainly ruined your evening.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I I have to say that uh, from my point of view, you know, the one thing I did realize is that, you know, you definitely came with it with a lot of folks, right? You know, there was there's plenty of folks there. And I could imagine just hearing what you're saying, I could imagine the anxiety from your perspective, because you're right. It, I, it could have been the wrong person. There was a lot of false information going around at the time as to who I was. So it completely makes sense that you were like, damn, I hope this is the guy. From my perspective, when you knocked on my door... And um, you presented the, the case as is, like, hey, we know who you are, yada, 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 yada. I initially thought, well, maybe I could do some social engineering here. Let me try this out. But to be honest with you, like, I knew I was caught. So I just kind of said, fuck it, I'm done.
0: So what, what took that, like, I mean, it, it was a couple hours before you finally said the words, I'm Sabu. I mean, yeah. it, it wasn't immediate. So so what's the mindset during that process of, you know, uh, you know you're know, you sitting there with two agents at, at, at your at your kitchen table. Yeah. Um, you know, what are you thinking about? How are you going to be able to get out of this? Well, that's the
1: thing, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm, well, what I'm really, what I'm really thinking about, Chris, or what I was thinking about at the time, was everything that you could possibly have on me and all the different, different types of people that may have you know, pointed their fingers at me. So I'm trying to analyze, I'm doing a risk assessment in my head. Um, so while you guys are talking and everybody's yapping around and walking around my apartment, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so what's the worst case in there? What, what do these people have on me? I know, what, I know exactly what's on that laptop. So that's, that's, that's cool. You know, Maybe I left the log somewhere. So these are the kind of questions that I was going through during that process. And then finally, what sealed the deal for me was the the Facebook uh, printout. Mm. Uh, once you once you drop the stack of Facebook messages, I'm like, oh okay, yeah, we're good. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> and for those of you that don't know, there's there's a really fun fun part of that story, which is that you know I had a Facebook account that I deleted. I thought it was deleted, and in my messages there was questions and and you know kind of like some. This very arbitrary back and forth between me and a cousin, and uh, once I once I knew that those messages were in the hands of the FBI, FBI I was like, okay, let me just deal with this problem because I, I I'm not going to get out of this one for
0: sure. Had you ever thought about that? Did you ever, you like think back that that conversation would be a problem?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, I understood that retention policies existed because I worked at data centers before. I've done retention in some capacity, but. I thought that, you know, I, I, I kind of, I gave Facebook the benefit of the doubt. What I should have did, right, and, and, and by the way, I'm not glorifying any of this, but what I probably would have done is compromise Facebook and just deleted all the storage myself prior to my arrest. That's probably what I would have, what I would have done as a bad guy, for sure.
0: Tough to, you got to commit a felony to, to clear up a, another felony. That's correct. <laughs> so, but I guess that's the world you were living in at the time. So we finally, you know, kind of sit there and uh, you tell us what what you did, and we decide to go downtown. Um, did you notice that I was not the one to put handcuffs on you?
1: No, I'll be honest, I did not notice that.
0: Yeah, so I intentionally they were my handcuffs, but I intentionally didn't put them on you. Uh, we had a pretty good relationship going at that time, so uh, so I, I didn't want to be the one to actually physically restrain you. Yeah. Um, even though you know it's FBI policy to you have to wear handcuffs in, in, in the car. Yeah. Um, so then, you and I hop in a car. Um, someone drives us. I sit in the back seat with you. Um, yeah. I don't remember much conversation. Do you? There was a little bit. There was a hack that I told you about that was on. It was ongoing. And
1: then, uh, yeah, we went straight to the office
0: and that's that. Yeah, I sort of felt like I was drinking from a fire hose uh, in some of those early conversations. So um, <laughs> one hack kind of led into another one who led into a thousand more. So uh, it was pretty interesting. But I do remember getting phone calls on the drive back from your house down to 26 Fed from other agents saying that you, uh, you were I got the wrong guy. So that was sort of interesting in my world. Um, Three or four, I think three agents called me and said I got the wrong guy. And they're like, well, why do you think, you know, you have the right guy? And they're like, well, they gave me some information. I said, well, he said it was him. So it's going to be tough for me to go beyond that. So,
1: I mean, there was, like I said before, there was a lot of false information or misinformation about who I was at the time. And a lot of that was me, but also friends. There, there There were a lot of people that really did care for me and loved me. To this day, they're still in my life. And I want to give a big shout out to all of them without mentioning names. But yeah, no, like once I disappeared, I can imagine folks started pretending to be me and started having conversations with other people to kind of throw off the scent. But yeah, no, I'll be honest with you, man. Uh, the reality is, is that I knew that I, I listened, I knew that I fucked up and I knew that I had to deal with this.
0: So it was a long night. We kind of sat there for a while. You know, I didn't really know what to do. Um, it's funny. My, my boss, my direct supervisor was on vacation that night. So um, getting someone there that kind of knew what was going on, uh, kind of relied on senior agents at that point to kind of figure things out, and what we needed to do, because you should have been put into uh, MCC that night. Was if if we followed the rules?
1: Uh, well, so what's the normal process then? I would have to gone to MCC. It would have been a big public affair, right?
0: Well, by the time we got there, so late, um, and it's funny, we didn't do any of this. We got there so late that we should have gone upstairs at the, at the Bureau. We, so we went into that. We drove into the basement, took you up to the elevator and came to, there's a back area of our squad, uh, the lab, not the lab, the, the kind of like the workroom where um, a lot of things have happened in that room, a lot of history, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of different big arrests in the FBI people go into that room. And normally we'd go into the processing room, you never had? Did you ever have your picture taken or your fingerprints taken or anything that night? I don't remember doing any of that stuff. Yeah, you did. You, you did oh, all. Oh, did we do that? Yeah, you took my okay. picture. You made a funny joke. I forgot what it was. No, and... oh, yeah, funny guy, right? You you've been arrested, and I'm I'm making jokes.
1: Yeah, you're making jokes, and uh, <laughs> I think you took a picture of my tattoos or whatever, and that's
0: it. Yeah, I probably said to swab your cheek. Uh, you have to get a DNA sample, um, and that's when you get your FBI number. Kind of a big day.
1: Wait, but before we continue. Do you remember my number at all? No, I could look it up, but I don't remember it. Uh it, that would be dope if you could tell me what that is.
0: So, maybe maybe I can find that. I'd have to do some digging to to try to find it, but So, d- did you hold up like a sign in front of you for the picture or anything like that? Turn sideways, like do that whole thing?
1: No, no, no. It was it was I did all of that when I went to MCC later on, but uh,
0: yeah.
1: with you, you just took pictures of like my face with tats and, and so on.
0: So like I said, it's a different situation with you because, you know, you decided to work with us. So it's, you know, is limiting. So technically that night you should have gone to MCC uh, and then they would have taken you over to your pre-trial um, the next day and then seen a judge and all that. But we ended up taking you home that night, right?
1: Yeah. The next morning I went home and, um, that, that's when uh, you and I started to build rapport. You know, one of the things that um, that I, I highly respected you for is that you kept your word with me and, and you, you was very honest with me, um, something that I, I never really experienced from anybody aside from, like, family, right? So, you know, I chalked it up in the beginning as, ah, he's just doing his job. He's playing good cop. But as time went on, you know, you kind of continued that. You were, you were consistent. But yeah, just to answer that, that question, you did drop me off in the morning and, and I went back home to the kids.
0: Yeah, and then we uh, we came back and got you and you sat down with the prosecutors um, and kind of went through and and what they call a, a queen for the day. Um, you kind of talk about anything bad. I, I sped once, uh, you know, and it kind of, it, it's a proffer session. Um, you, you list everything bad, you know. How was that? Was that therapeutic? Was that difficult? Well, it was difficult,
1: right? I, I remember it wasn't just one session. We did many sessions. And the reality is, is that you know, I felt terrible afterwards. I tell, I felt terrible not because, you know, I was snitching on myself or or whatever. The reality is, I felt terrible because I've committed so many different crimes that I I, I really shouldn't have. You know, and we're talking about we're talking about stupid things like hijacking motors. Like, well, who, why the fuck am I, is a hacker hijacking motors, right? Things like, hey, I may have may have procured a maybe a pound or ten or so of weed. You know, stupid things like that that shouldn't have even been part of my conversation because that's not really my modus operandi.
0: But the hijacking motors is isn't that sort of the opportunistic side of cybercrime? Well, yeah, absolutely. It was it was definitely opp-
1: opportunistic. I was really into cars and I hacked into a um a Japanese export company and I started intercepting um motors in in transport. That was definitely opp- uh, opportunistic, 100%. You're right on that. But I just still I felt silly because now I'm sitting there at a table with a bunch of professionals and and people that you know obviously led a very good life and they made good decisions and I'm I'm there like an asshole admitting to these things that really just didn't seem worth it because in the grand scheme of things what am I what was I intercepting uh $500 motors
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know like this thing like, it's it's not like I'm doing a, a jewelry heist or something
0: yeah but you're also not killing people i mean it's true <laughs> very true now I will say you did have a lawyer with you to to you know to protect your side and all that and make decisions and you know we we would leave the room when you wanted to talk to your lawyer or your lawyer wanted to talk to you so so it was you know just so people know that you, you did have that you, it wasn't just you in this room with a bright light shining in your face
1: No it, it was it was it was it was definitely you know it was proper it it, it followed the books you know um, I did have my attorney there my attorney helped me understand you know, a lot of the concerns that I had. And I did have concerns because, you know, sometimes things are too good to be true. And my concern was, well, the feds don't know about X. Why would I admit to X? And then my attorney's like, well, the thing with the feds is that eventually they'll find out. So if you don't tell them now, you're probably gonna get charged later. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Let me go back to the table and and, and talk with them. But, you know, it was liberating, Chris. It was liberating because now it allowed me after this case was over, to start my life fresh, mm. right? I haven't even jaywalked since I came out of MCC. I had, I, I, I'm living the straight edge life as much as possible because I'm enjoying it more. I don't have to be concerned about looking over my shoulder. You know, you know the, the one most beautiful thing about this entire experience that folks may not know, and that is that I have absolutely appreciated and came to love, you know, life and freedom and just being me. And if I want to sit at home and listen to flamenco music until three in the morning, I, I could do that without having the fear of maybe the feds are going to knock on my door today. Yeah, so the proffer session was basically that, me admitting to all the crimes that I could remember. And then I'll be honest with you, I, I told the feds right there on the spot, I said, look, guys, I have done thousands of hacks, not just automated stuff. I'm not sitting here with, with you know, with an automated bot hitting everything. I'm sitting, I, I've done a lot of hacks and I just can't recall all of them. And that was my biggest concern, Chris. I'm sure you remember, right? Because we kind of talked about it a couple of times and you guys completely understood.
0: So, and then we had your, we took you over to the judge and we had, uh, you know, we had, I had over go the prosecutors and, you know, we sat down with the judge ahead of time to kind of explain what we were trying to think about doing. Um, and so normally your preliminary hearing is, you know, in court 5A over in Southern District. Um this time it was in judge's chambers, and you you didn't have to do it in public, so that was a very unique experience.
1: And the judge, the judge was a sweetheart. I mean, Judge Prescott, I know people a lot of a lot of people are scared of her, <laughs> and uh, you know, granted, she's earned that. But from my perspective, as the guy that fucked up and the guy that's that's about to face a long time in prison, you know, she didn't beat me down, right? She didn't beat me down, and she didn't scold me. She was a complete professional, and she understood. She, she made sure that I understood all my rights.
0: so from your perspective if uh someone's uh, out there and they're a hacker um first off you'd tell them to not be a hacker right
1: yeah if they're a black hat just gotta remember the, ha- the hacker term and, and uh phrase is not bad right a- anyone could be a hacker it's not a bad thing but if you're a black cat, if you're a cracker, right, if you're breaking into systems for whatever reason, the reality is that, yeah, please, just, just step away from it. It's not worth it. Trust me. There are some countries that, you know, you may not get the luxury that I got when the FBI knocked on my door. God forbid you're in a country where the their, their law enforcement is much more brutal or aggressive. Um, you have no idea if you're even going to come back home ever again. So- if you're doing it, trust me, there's enough money in the cybersecurity industry right now that you could just swap into the industry and get a good job and take care of your family.
0: I will say your experience was vastly different than the arrest of Ross Ulbrich. Uh He had a very different arresting experience, and we'll save that for a different pod, but, uh, but also an interesting story. So we got a third question. Um, Christina, a small business owner uh, in New Jersey, she runs her business on Instagram and Etsy. Uh, And she had a a couple part question. I thought it'd be good for us to go through it. She wanted to know, um, how do you protect your social media accounts, especially your business social media? How do you protect your business websites? And uh, what do you do if your Instagram account is hacked into? It's a great question. And it's not a straightforward one to answer, unfortunately. But we're going to talk about some of the key things to think about. First, you need to remember that cybersecurity is all about picking controls that are right for you. There's usually a trade-off between security and convenience. There are baseline things that you should do to secure your social media, but how much you layer on top of that really depends on your risk profile. Let's talk about some of those things and also some of the additional more advanced controls if you think you're a larger target for hackers. The standards, Hector, we talk about this almost every week when we talk about cybersecurity, is is passwords. I'll just go through them real quick. We'll go through the strong passwords, at least 12 characters or longer, unique passwords. Don't have them across multiple sites. Um, there's a hacking phenomenon out there called credential stuffing. So if your password is taken on uh, from one website and sold on the dark market because that website was cracked into, they then try that on all your other other sites. So unique passwords across the sites. So one of the things, uh, multi-factor authentication, uh, Hector, uh, I'll tell you right now, my mom listened to our last episode and she didn't know we talked about Multi factor and two factor, and she doesn't know what that is. So, multi factor is you have a username and password, but then you also have a different token to add to that. It's a, it's a different bit of information that only you have to get in there or two factor. So, passwords, one factor, two factor, this second wise token. And there's different levels of multi factor authentication. There's a security key. So, it's actually a physical device that you have um, with a rotating number on it and you enter it. Then there's the app based, where you have an application on your phone that has that number and then the bottom one is uh an sms or a text message where they send you the text message all of them provide different levels of security um you know the app based and the sms base you know are are good but if your phone is compromised or stolen then you've lost that 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 multi-factor authentication um so the security key would be the, the best one of again just to get make sure people know what we're talking about multi-factor authentication mfa or Two factor authentication, kind of the same thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're kind of the same thing, and depending on who you ask or, or what specifications you read, they should be doing different things, right? So when you look at it, something like a, a fido two key, also known as a security key, if you're in the military or have military experience, you probably seen them in the form of like maybe a cat card or similar. If you worked for companies back in the '90s and 2000s, you may have remembered the you may remember the RSA ID keys. Now they're they're very slick, they're very cool, they're multifunctional, they have a lot of uh, capabilities. Um, but the cool thing about the security keys are that if your phone is compromised, if your SIM is swapped by an arbitrary operator at a, a telco or, or an ISP, a, a cell phone provider, basically, that security key is still going to allow you to log in securely to your, your systems, and that's great. The the one that, you know, listen, at the end of the day, it, it's still vulnerable to attacks is SMS-based or text-based uh, multi-factor authentication. And as Chris explains, essentially, when you try to log in somewhere, you get a text message with a bunch of numbers. You put those numbers into the application. But if you have SMS and your SIM for your cell phone is hijacked by uh, by a malicious actor then they would be able to intercept the SMS.
0: A sophisticated attack, though. I mean, so yeah. the SMS does provide some security, but it is vulnerable to a certain amount of attacks. You know, again, weighing your options uh, uh, on uh, you know, a small business owner, do you think you're going to be targeted by those sophisticated attacks that takes over the SIMs on your cell phone? Probably not, but, you know, just so you have knowledge that there are better-based multi-factor authentication tools out there.
1: Uh, I would rather an organization have... At the very least, SMS authentication than than nothing at all, right? So
0: exactly. If you just have a username and password, that's not really a good solution. One of them, at least have SMS, maybe app-based multi-factor, then the highest level of the the security key. Mm-hmm. Owning this small business means there's you're making money, you're you're having money come in. That means that you're a, again a target for phishing schemes. Be conscious not to click on links that are sent to your account. Be conscious not to give out personal information or email accounts. The more information you can protect, the less they can build a profile to be used against you. So just realize you have to protect those business accounts just the same way.
1: And I'm in total agreement with that. The one thing I'll add to that point is that the more services you add to your organization, the broader and wider your attack surface becomes. And let me try to visualize that for the audience. So let's assume you have a very small house. The small house is just essentially a studio apartment. There's one room, okay? And you have one door going in, one door to go out, right? As you add Instagram to your attack surface, now you're adding uh, another room adjacent to it, and you've broken the wall and added an extra door. As you start adding more and more services, you're adding more and more rooms and more and more doors. You're allowing the attacker more opportunity to break into that central first studio apartment, essentially the first room, the more doors there are, the more possibilities of someone, you know, being able to break into that door. The, the point is that you want to be able to do kind of like a risk analysis, identify whether or not, Hey, do I need to go ahead and set up the service? Do I really need this? It's going to expand my attack surface. If I don't need it, then I'll just continue as is. If I do need it, now I need to add that new part of the attack surface into my overall security program. And now I need to kind of include that new um, service as part of my overall defensive strategy, right? Whatever that means, you know, and this is where if you, if you have, let's say 30 accounts for 30 different platforms, that means you have 30 brand new uh, passwords that you should be rotating that are, that are all unique. And this is where going back to kind of like the password section, this is where something like a password manager really helps you out so what do really think
0: about christina also asked about protecting your website for most small business owners you're running a website through a third-party web provider and the main attack vector you can control is your access to that interface my recommendations are the same as for social media accounts you know make strong passwords enable two-factor authentication and make sure you've done your research on the service make sure it's reputable you know because if they get hacked then you're going to get hacked Privacy settings. So these Instagram accounts come with privacy settings. The default settings are probably not right for you and your business. Modify those settings so it's appropriate. You know, it's a balance between security and business continuity for you. So, you know, don't just go with the default settings. I'm sure there's people that can help you, people in your life that might know, you know, security a little bit better. Just ask for help um, if, if you're unsure or crank up the security uh and then back it down a little bit as it's not needed but i i you know from a from a cybersecurity expert standpoint uh more security the better
1: yeah no i mean it all depends right so if we're talking about the business instagram account then you want it to be public public enough that people could find it and look at it and 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 subscribe to it or follow the account and then of course interact with your community now if you also have a personal instagram account or whatever you want to make sure And again, this all depends on your personal risk analysis. You know, more than likely, you want to be able to add some privacy settings or enable some privacy privacy settings so that the only people that could actually interact with you and or look at your photos or look at your community uh, communications, comments and so on, are people that are already added to your friends list. You don't want anonymous strangers to be looking or combing over your private Instagram account because that's going to be problematic for you and your business potentially.
0: Christina also asked about what to do if your Instagram gets hacked. This one's pretty straightforward. If you can get into your account, change your password immediately and add some security features. You should also rotate your password for Facebook since the two platforms are connected. If you can't gain access to your account, there are several options within the application to regain access. You can also make it easier to respond to a hack by setting up your account properly in the first place. Make sure you download your application from a reputable location. Make sure you're getting the actual Instagram application and not, not some rogue one that looks like it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you start your accounts, you can start an Instagram account with either an email, a phone number, or a Facebook account. Those are business accounts. Yeah. Make sure they're secured. Um, you know, have an email account that you only use for business and you're not using it. It's not going out there all the time. Secure, Secure it. Don't use it for anything else except for starting this Instagram account. So, you know, any communications are coming in has to deal with your business Instagram account. Same maybe with a phone number, get a business phone number and then make security conscious. Uh, decisions when you're setting up these accounts. You know, all the things we talked about, strong password, multi-factor authentication, all these things.
1: I completely agree. I think we're good on that front. I'll be honest with you, like, if you feel like your account is compromised, right, then you need to be able to to validate whether or not you were compromised in the first place. It's very common for an attacker to send you a phishing email or, or, or SMS or whatever it is, uh, stating that your account has been compromised, you need to click here, log in, and change your password, right? And that leads us to, like, phishing. You know, once you get to that point where you're getting these weird messages, what you have to understand is that if there is ever a breach notification, you will get it from the official, let's say in this case, Instagram account or Instagram email support. Um, you could also go to Google and kind of identify what that email looks like or what it should look like. There's plenty of examples.
0: Hector, I think the, the action should be security at mail.instagram.com. Um, Anything other than that, they're tricking you, Uh, including like if the L is a capital I, look for things like that. It has to be that exact address.
1: Absolutely. You want to be able to validate, you know, what it is you're interacting with, whether it's the email, whether it is like an Instagram page that you have to click on. The reality is that I would tell people, listen, try to avoid clicking on things in in, in general. You know, and if you could, if you could log in and try to reset your passwords from within the app or from within Instagram.com itself, even better. But clicking on links that lead you to other links that are you le- to another one, you know, it gets confusing sometimes. And there's, a, there's enough trickery that would kind of confuse a target, right? victim and I understand it gets extremely difficult but trust me you know once we start you' know, having these more more of these conversations Chris I think the audience is going to get it because we're going to give as much information as we can to kind of deal with these scenarios
0: yeah don't panic they're trying to get you to be scared so they're going to send you oh you have to act now do this click this immediately just slow down assess the situation and see what's happening don't do something that you can't pull back you know and clicking that link and and typing in that password or approving the the, the multi-factor authentication just Figure out what's going on before you click on those links because, again, you're going to be a target. There are ways to get your Instagram back. Uh, A lot of that has to do with that setup email or that setup phone number. And so that's why if you use a specific email account that's just used for your business Instagram account and don't use it outside for anything else, you'll know that you'll have that to be able to get into later on uh, to authenticate yourself and get control of that account back. Uh, and once you get in there, take all the security things we talked about earlier, uh, change the password, the multi-factor authentication, remove any linked accounts, and and start revoking any third, third-party 3rd uh, applications that have been added. So not as scary as you think. I, I know people think they're the when they lose their business accounts, uh, the world's falling down. Um, I follow a guy on YouTube that he lost his YouTube channel uh, and he thought his whole career was over because of it. Um it took him, you know, a little bit of time to get back, but he did get it back and, and get it under control. So um scary situation, but controllable.
1: I, I really want to really want to touch on what you said about you know the the panicky, right? The panicking part. Mm-hmm. That is that is part of almost every social engineer's playbook, and that is to to, cr- try, to try to create as much chaos. And confusion is possible. The point is the attacker, the adversary in this case, wants to put you in a position where you're gonna react before you really think about it, or you're gonna act upon an action. And what you may be doing is falling exactly or precisely into the position they want you to be in. So if you feel like you're compromised, take a step back, take a breather, and start looking at your policy. There's one thing I always want you guys to always remember is that you always wanna have some sort of policy in your lives. When you're dealing with something like this, the same way when you work in an office and there's like a fire drill policy, right? You want to make sure that at the very least, if you're not documenting this, uh, and, I, and, I, and I hope you do, you should at the very least have this methodology in your mind ready for in the event something happens, okay? If a compromise happens, here's what I need to do. Here's how I do it. Here's who I email. Here's who I contact. And then you start to go from there, Right. Um, trust me, it's going to work out in your favor if you follow this path.
0: Yeah, answer those questions before it's 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 so you know before you're facing the situation. You know, it's just like you know when we were kids, they taught us you know fire drills, and where we go if the fire alarm goes off, and where we meet with our teacher and all that. So just just have a plan ahead of time, so when it happens, it's not as scary and it can be handled a little a little more easy. Great words, uh, Hector. I, I really I really think the audience is going to get something from that. Great conversation today. I enjoyed it. Um, You know, a little personal stuff about what it feels like to be arrested by the FBI and hopefully demystify that process a little bit. Great information for, you know, people that wrote in questions Um, and more questions. If you guys have questions and uh, you want Hector and I's perspective on uh, the the perspective of a hacker and a Fed, please send us your questions at questions at hackerandthefed.com. Uh, again, questions at hackerandthefed.com. We, we really look forward to uh, hearing from the audience and answering those questions. So new episodes of Hacker and the Fed every Thursday. Uh, please download and uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and a uh, really good time talking to you this week again, Hector. Oh,
1: yeah, likewise. I mean, I love to nerd it out with you. And it's always <laughs> it's always fun to talk security and, and and try to you know help folks at the same time. So I'm with it.